All right, we're going to be uh, delving into Romans, uh, and I hope to be able to open it up for you and make it understood and give you practical application, because that's really what I focus on, practical application, taking the Bible, the Word of God, and then revealing it in a way that you understand it and make it practical in your life so that you can use it. So uh, as I bring this together, one of the things I want you to understand is that Romans was written in the year 54 A.D. 54 A.D. Uh, and so it's interesting because that's about 25 years after Jesus would have been crucified. Uh, most theologians put the date of death of Jesus at 30 A.D. So it's 24, 25 years later, Paul uh, is writing this. Now he's writing this from Corinth. He has never visited Rome. He wants to visit Rome. He's aware that there are Christians in Rome, that there is a church in Rome, and so he's writing them this letter, uh, not knowing really specifically who they are, uh, and not knowing the, the, the identification of the church itself. And so the question I have for you, and just so you understand what Rome would look like at that time, this is the year 54 AD, it would be a city of about a million people. There would be about 50,000 Jews in Rome. Uh, but there is a church in Rome. The question is, how? How did a church start in Rome when none of the apostles, none of the apostles, had visited Rome up to this point? Well, uh, there's a pretty good uh, uh, answer to that, and it relates back to the day of Pentecost. Now, you know at the day of Pentecost, when you study that and you read uh, Acts chapter 2, it tells you that there were people from all over the world who were visiting Jerusalem uh, at, the, at the Feast of, of Pentecost. Uh, and, and we know that many times during these great feasts, especially at Passover, Jerusalem would swell to a million people. Uh, so, so it was amazing. Uh, and, and if you travel with me to, to uh, Israel, you'll see Jerusalem's not a very big place. Uh, and so uh, uh, here it is, sw swollen by people from all over the world, and we know that there were people from Italy, people from Rome, sitting there on the day of Pentecost, and now imagine they're out in the streets, and the, the Holy Spirit descends on the upper room, and now uh, the early Christians begin speaking in in foreign tongues, but not uh, tongues that would be un, uh, un misunderstood, but actually speaking in foreign languages, speaking in specific foreign languages, even with the specific dialects of the people that were sat out in the street. And we know that the Bible gives us about 40 or 50 different regions from around the world where these people were there. So imagine if you're there in the street, you're a Jew, and now you're listening to the gospel being preached in your home language. You're there, uh, and you're in Jerusalem, you know, many, many, many miles away from home, and suddenly the gospel is being spoken in Latin, or in Greek, or in any specific language of the world where you are. It is specifically being enunciated. Well, you know that on that first day, several thousand people came to faith. They came to faith. Well, what happened? Well, what happens is as these people heard the gospel, 
And it grew and grew and grew from that occasion. They go back to their homeland. And so now these individual people go back to their homeland. They have the gospel. They each become little missionaries. They become evangelists. And so the gospel is spread. Really, this is precisely how God intends the gospel to be spread. He expects each one of us to go uh, and hear the gospel and then spread it one-on-one to other people to enunciate it. And so that's what happened. And that's why that church grew. And so Paul wanted to visit that church. He wanted to affirm them, lift them up. He wanted to give them a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so he intended to go first to Rome and then to visit Spain. He intended to go to Spain. We have no record that he ever made it to Spain. Uh, but uh, he did go to Rome. Uh, he was in Rome twice. I'll give you the, the dates on that shortly, the chronology of that. But this is an exceptional human being. This man is one of the greatest men in the history of Western civilization. I would frankly say he's one of the greatest men in the history of the world, but certainly in, in terms of understanding Western civilization. And when I get to heaven, he's one of the guys I'm going to look for. Because I really want to talk to him about this. Because I want you to understand the kind of person that he was. He was short. He was bald. He had a big nose. And he had eye problems. All right? That's right. Short, bald, large nose, and he had eye problems. All right? So as you would define this in the world and describe somebody who would have the least charismatic effect, You couldn't pick a better role model than this guy, but he had a powerful voice. And in many ways, Paul reminds me of my own grandfather, uh, who was a uh, a missionary in Italy uh, who had great success right after World War II, uh, going back numerous times um, and speaking to Roman Catholics and bringing Roman Catholics to an evangelistic uh, position. And, And my grandfather stood five feet tall. My grandfather was bald. My grandfather had a large Roman nose. But my grandfather had a powerful voice, powerful voice, where he could stand out in the piazzas of Italy, uh, and there would be thousands of people that would be listening to him, and he would challenge. And I can just imagine being, having been with my grandfather, what it would be like to be with Paul. My grandfather had no interest, no interest in any discussion on anything other than the Bible. Now, I want you to understand what it's like to be an 8, 9, 10-year-old kid. You go and you see your grandparents. You go and see your grandfather, and you want to talk about sports. You want to talk about some current events. You want to talk about what's new, what you're doing. And your grandfather would go like this to you. Ephesians 2.10. What is it? Ephesians 2.10. I'm, I'm, I'm nine years old. What is it? What is it? Well, of course, that became burned into my head, Ephesians 2.10. We know we are created for good works, which he has before ordained. All right? That became burdened right into my mind. But he had no interest whatsoever in any other subject other than Jesus. Other than Jesus. And when he was not in Europe being a missionary, he would write literally 30 letters a day to these churches that he had started over there. He had started about 50 churches. Well, if this was a guy who was my relative, I can imagine what it had to be like to be with Paul. This guy must have been uh, living electricity. Living electricity. And that's why 
the gospel, the, the Roman uh, book is so critical for us to study. Now, you know that he has written, Paul has written more than half of the New Testament, almost two-thirds. So you can imagine uh, uh, what this is like. And so as we begin to drill down on Romans, and we're going to spend uh, a good amount of time on Romans, I want you to realize Romans is written in 54 A.D. The Gospel of John <coughs> is written most likely about 88 A.D., which means it's almost 30 years after that, right? After, after uh, the book of Romans, meaning Romans came first. He is establishing the theology of the Christian church. What are we about? Uh, and so it becomes a bedrock principle as to who we are. I want you to understand again how he came to faith because it, it really underscores what this is all about. Turn to Acts chapter 9. And now you know that he, he is an on-fire Jew, a Pharisee, who despises the early Christian work. Right? He will come to faith somewhere around 35 A.D. So four or five years after Jesus uh, dies on the cross, Paul will be converted uh, as a Christian. But for those intervening years, he despised Christians. He despised Christianity. He thought they were ruining Judaism, uh, that, that uh, they were pagans. And he did everything in his power to, to put it to death. Uh, and in fact, he got letters from the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem to go to Damascus. Uh, and that's a trip of about 150 miles, can you imagine? 150 miles on dirt roads. And he went there for no other purpose than to throw people into prison. That's why he went there. So here he is traveling to Damascus, uh, believing that he is now representing God, uh, out to destroy the nascent church, uh, out to put people into prison. And look at verse uh, 3, Acts 9, verse 3. As he, that's Paul, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I have a painting in my house uh, that is one of the most precious things that I own, and it's a painting dating back to the early 1700s uh, by a well-known Flemish painter that shows Paul being struck off the horse and his companions all around him cowering in fear as a light comes down. You can't imagine what this had to be like. This is a once-in-a-universe uh, experience. And so here he is on the ground, struck down from the ground, and now he hears a voice from heaven. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and I love that. Who are you, Lord? Well, he knew it was God, but he's asking specifically, who, who are you? And these words must have struck him, knocked him over. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into this city, and you will be told what you must do. And I love how the Lord does that. One sentence. I'm Jesus. Get up and go into the city. That's it. You don't need to know anything else. Go into the city and wait. Uh, and so you see this. Like his companions really didn't hear the clear articulation of the words. They heard rumbling and thunder, but they didn't hear the clear articulation of the words. This was a message for this man alone. Um, and so, verse 7, The men traveling with, with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, 
but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Now, we, they believe, theologians believe, that the thorn in the flesh became, was an ongoing eye issue that he had that was most likely attributed to this strong light that he, that he saw. You can imagine. It'd probably be like lasers coming into your eye. I mean, you can imagine what this was like. And so he was blinded, uh, and he's not going to see for a couple of days. Uh, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, why do you think he didn't eat or drink anything? It's because all of a sudden the very rug on which you stand that predicates your life is gone. Everything that you stood for, everything that you thought was right, has now been eradicated. Here you now realize that you have been persecuting God himself. You have been responsible for putting into prison and for seeing people uh, executed. Stephen, who you were there and involved with that execution and stoning, you now realize was all wrong. And so, of course, he couldn't eat. And of course, he couldn't drink. His life was on, its, on his head. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And if you go to Damascus, that street is there today. And ask for a man from Tarsus, and Tarsus is Turkey, that's where he was born, named Saul. For he is praying, in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now God reveals this to Ananias. And I love Ananias' response. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. It's like, uh, Jesus, are you sure about this? Are you really thought about this? This is the guy you want me to go. Don't you know? Don't you remember what he's done? He's a bad man. Uh, and you see uh, how God responds in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. He will show him how I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So the lesson here is this. He's called. He is going to be an apostle. And I'll explain to you later what that means to be an apostle. But being an apostle means that you had a direct relationship with Jesus. You saw Jesus and, the, and you were a witness of Jesus. And, and, the, and, and Jesus has personally poured the gospel into your life. Here he is being told that Ananias is being told that this man will go to kings. He will go to kings and he will spread the gospel all, uh, all over the world, but he will suffer. He will suffer for, for, for the gospel. Look also, move down to verse 22. Um, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful. After he had been prayed upon and, and they, they laid hands on him, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, came into his life. And instantaneously, this guy now becomes, at that moment, the greatest evangelist. Right there, at that moment. Uh, because of his training, his education, his giftedness, and now the Holy Spirit has descended upon him. And now he is on fire for God. He's on fire for God, for Jesus. Verse 22, yet Saul 
grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Can you imagine what that had to be like? So here's the guy. Last week, he was out arresting Christians. This week, he's up at the pulpit preaching about Jesus. Yeah, I think they would be baffled. I can imagine. Now, when they say baffled, it's not merely baffled by his presence. They were baffled by his intellect. This was probably the smartest guy in the room, in any room that he was at. All right? Wherever he was, nobody was smarter than this guy. Nobody was better educated than this guy. This guy had an incredible education. Um, he, he grew up in Tarsus, and there was a world-class uh, Greek university in Tarsus. Uh, and we have every reason to believe that, that he was educated in that university. He then uh, had a seminary education on top of that when he went to Israel and was trained by Gamaliel, uh, considered to be the top Pharisee. So what does it all mean? It means this. You see how God takes uh, talented, gifted people, well-educated people who then put it before the throne of God, and God uses that to advance the gospel. You understand? Uh, and so here's a point I want to make to you, that we as evangelicals will often put down uh, secular education. I've heard that from people. Oh, yo, you can't send your kids to a regular school. You, you have to send them to a religious school or a religious university because we put down secular education. God never intended that. Uh, and the example of that is Paul, who was educated in Tarsus, understood Greek and Latin fluently, understood, uh, understood the fables in Greece, was able to in, um, interrelate it into his teaching. He often used poetry. His writing is superb. When you read the writing of Paul, it's almost lyrical as it jumps off the page, uh, and it's alive. And so God uses secular education for his purpose if, in fact, the person who has received that education bows before the throne. I can say that in my own life, that God used the fact that, 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 I, that I went to law school. God used my legal education, uh, I believe, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give me the ability to understand what I'm reading and give me the ability to break thoughts down in a way that I can make it more understood by people. God used that, all right? I never knew what that was about or intended it for that purpose, but God intended so I'm giving you that as an insight into your own family and your own background. When your kids maybe want to go to a secular university, you don't say it's not God's will, okay? Don't say it's not God's will. God uses every avenue that's out there to advance the gospel, provided your heart's in the right place, provided your heart's in the right place. Uh, and so uh, as you move down here, uh, uh, verse 23, the uh, Verse 23, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. Look, how about that? Right from day one, this guy's got to go. We can't live with this guy. We have to kill him. And so you see, even when you become sold out to Jesus Christ, the enemies of Christ know who you are and want to destroy you and rip you down. So I want to encourage you all of you here who have made yourselves get closer to God, and many of you have said to me, you know, even as I do this, I find that I'm being tempted, I'm going through travails. Why? Well, why not Paul? Are you any different than Paul? They wanted to kill him. So they're waiting at the city gate, waiting for him to leave so they can kill him. Imagine that. Uh, and what a story, verse 25. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket 
through an opening in the wall so that he could get out of the city secretly. Uh, and so, uh, what, a, what a story. Now, I next want to relate to you why he's an apostle and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Back about 40 pages further in the, in the Bible. Galatians chapter 1. All right? Verse 11. This is Paul now uh, speaking about his salvation experience. <clears throat> Verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. This becomes key because Paul always made it a point of letting them, letting the world know that no man gave Paul the gospel. Paul didn't go to Jerusalem and, and get mentored by uh, the disciples. He never did that. Paul was mentored one-on-one -on -one in the Saudi Arabian desert by Jesus Christ for three years. How do I know that? Keep reading. <clears throat> I did not, verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. What? A revelation from Jesus Christ? That's right. Um, uh, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth, stopped, set me apart from birth, what does it mean? It means that there is a divine destiny on people like us as Christians, a divine destiny for good. Mark it down. God has predestined you for good. All right? Ephesians 2.10. How's that? For good works. And so he was set apart for birth. Meaning what? That even as he was a Jew, God had set him apart to become the principal evangelist of the Christian work and called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Again, underline this. This becomes critical. He did not consult any man. He was not mentored by any man. Whatever Paul has given you has come by direct revelation from Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's why this is so profound. All right? Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Stop. Again, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go up there uh, to get my bona fides, to get my certificate. You're an apostle. You can put that on the wall now. We're confirming that. <laughs> oh, I don't need your confirmation. I don't need your confirmation. I got it directly from him. I got it directly from him. And this relates a lot even. I want you to say that, that when you, you can see that you come across people sometimes that never went to seminary, and yet you hear the words coming out of their mouth that come out with such power and authority, you know it's from the Holy Spirit. All right? You don't have to say, well, what school did you go to? What school did you go to? I went to the school with Jesus Christ. Is that good enough for you? It was good enough for Paul. All right? I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. I went into the Saudi Arabian desert. How's that for a university? You like that? You think you want to make that visit? Bring your kid out there? 
Benjamin, you like that? We're going to take you out to the Saudi Arabian desert, choose to go to school there. I want to see what kind of football team they have. <laughs> then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. Okay, now, you understand? Now you're beginning to get an understanding of how this all comes together. Three years in the desert, one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is being poured into him on an hourly, daily basis. That is why when we study Romans, we are getting the direct word of God. That's why this is important. That's why you should be thrilled to be studying this, because you're going to get the direct word of God from an apostle, meaning one man who came face to face with Jesus, who was not involved in getting this from any other man, but got it directly from the Lord himself uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and as we study this, he goes, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stay with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. So all he does in 15 days is see Peter and Jesus' half-brother James. Why do you think that was so? Because they're afraid of him. You understand? This guy is radioactive. We can't get it out of our head what he did. I'm sure that there were women there whose husbands had been imprisoned and some even executed. And so this guy was radioactive. Uh, and so for 15 days, he spends time with Peter and James, and that's it. And finally, do you know what happens here? which is amazing. Finally, they tell him, you know what? It would be better for you if you go home. We don't really have a place for you here right now. You've got a lot of baggage. And so they pack him up and send him back to Turkey, back where he came from, back to Tarsus, and he stays in Tarsus, effectively, anonymously, and you'll see not one word anywhere in the Bible about what he was doing in Tarsus for seven years, effectively on the shelf. Now, here's the practical. How many of you have been waiting for God to confirm a ministry in your life? How many of you have been praying, Lord, I want to be used. Tell me what it is. What, where, where's the direction in your life? What do you want me to do? I went through this myself for years uh, before it became clear that God wanted me to start a Bible study in my house, five guys. I had delusions of grandeur. We all have delusions of grandeur, don't we? We all have delusions of grandeur. We are, oh, yeah, some big work. Yeah, something massive, right? No, five guys in your house. How's that? In the kitchen. That's where I'm going to start. It's going to be my Bible study, not yours. Five guys in the kitchen. And so here he is. Go back to Turkey. We can't use you. I would have said, what are you kidding me? I've been three years in the desert. I've just gotten the gospel of Jesus Christ directly from him. We can't use you. We can't use you. Uh, and so they pack him off uh, to Tarsus. And for seven years, we don't have a word about our dear brother Paul. Until Barnabas uh, is involved in work in Ephesus and needs help and remembers that there was a guy who, who was very talented who is packed off to Tarsus, and maybe he could help him. He goes and gets him, and he brings him into the work. Uh, and when you start reading in Acts, the early days, uh, it talks about Barnabas uh, and, and Paul, 
And within like one chapter, it's not Barnabas and Paul, it's Paul and Barnabas. Because the work of God, the talent of God, the Holy Spirit of God begins to pour out of this man. It can't be stopped. Human beings can't stop it. All right, Whether people wanted to acknowledge it or not, it cannot be stopped. Uh, because he's got that kind of authority and power. This is what it means to be an apostle. This is exactly what it means and how God uses it. Now, I want you to understand, as I, as I bring this to you uh, uh, and, and really make you understand the context of what we're going to study. That's why we do this. What's the context of Romans? Well, he's converted. Jesus is crucified in the year 30 A.D. He is converted. Paul is converted in the year 34. He's sent back to Tarsus for seven years from the year 37 to 43. So remember, he's already been out in the desert three years with Jesus. He goes back for 15 days to Jerusalem. They pack him off to Tarsus. He's back in Tarsus. He's there now for seven years. And now, uh, some 20 years later, he's been an apostle. He has ministered all over the world. He's in Corinth. He wants to go to Rome. He writes this letter from in the year 54 to Rome. But he will not get to Rome uh, the way you would go to Rome, you see. You would go to Rome because you'd get on a flight out of Miami and you'd fly nonstop to Rome. That's not how he gets to Rome. He gets to Rome in chains. Understand? He gets to Rome in chains because when he goes back to Jerusalem and brings a, uh, a uh, offering to the Christians who are, who are impoverished uh, in Jerusalem, they, they challenge his uh, Judaism traits. You're not really being a good Jew, Paul. You need to go back into the temple uh, and to make a sacrifice that you still uh, follow uh, Judaism even though you're a Christian. So, because you, you've been hanging around with a lot of Gentiles. So he goes back into the temple and he does this sacrifice, but while he's in the temple, he is arrested by the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities. They place him under arrest and for two years, he will be in chains because he wants and insists he wants to go to Rome in order to uh, free his name. Uh, and he has the right to go to Rome because he is a Roman citizen. Um, and that's the other thing. So he's a Roman citizen. He has the right to go to Rome. And he will eventually get to Rome, but he will go in chains. Uh, and one of the places that you will visit if you go with me to Israel is uh, uh, Meritima, uh, which is the very place where he was imprisoned uh, for several months uh, and gave his gospel to the Roman authorities right there, um, uh, to, uh, to Festus and Beatrice. And very, you'll be able to read all that in, in Acts. But he then goes, is put on a ship. He's sent to Rome. You know the ship is shipwrecked. Ship, this, is guy, this guy's had some life. He spends two years in chains on this. Of, uh, and then uh, he will be released, because God wanted him released. But he will then be sent back. He will then be imprisoned again. And he will die in Rome. Uh, and he will be beheaded in the year of 67. So you understand this. He would have been actively involved in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ as an apostle for 34 years. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to use this now as a pretext to understand the gospel, of, the gospel of, of Romans. Notice what I called it, the gospel of Romans, because it takes the synoptic gospels and it 
ratchets it up. Ratchets it up. Uh, and we're going to study concepts that are critical for you to know as a Christian, critical for you to spread to other people that need to know about Jesus Christ. And we're going to delve in depth, and we will begin to continue to do this next week as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this group of people that loves you and comes together to learn about you, Father. Lord, I ask you that these words that you've given us grow in our heart, that they be anointed, that they draw us closer to you as we understand the great call that you had for Paul. And Lord, also the great call that you have for us, that we see his example, Lord, and we desire to have that same kind of example be in our life, the practical application of your word in our life. Bless our people, protect them wherever they go, Lord, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.